We are in this series, Waging Peace, and we're drawing from this book, Mending the Divide, and in it they give these four words that lead us into peacemaking. See, immerse, contend, and restore. And Susie began last week talking about seeing and immersing. Today we're going to continue with contend and restore. And peace, shalom, is something that I believe is very core to who God is and how he operates with us on this earth. So how do you conceptualize peace? Do you think about peace? What comes to mind? How do you conceptualize peace? You know, peace is not something that you can touch. It's not an object. It's not something you can hold. But peace is something. What is peace? You know when you have peace, it's a feeling, right? You know when you don't have peace and it's broken, it's a very different feeling. You know, peace is something that exists in the space between. So between you and me, there's space, and in that space is where peace exists. Or between our nation and another nation, there's a space in between where peace exists. Peace is a quality. It's a state of affairs. Cornelius Plattinger wrote this when he was talking about shalom in the scriptures. He writes, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights, in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. I think it's a beautiful image of the space that God invites us into where he is working on peace. But peace, shalom, gets broken all the time. It's broken. Shalom is broken in huge systemic ways, like in Syria right now. But it also happens in these teensy tiny little ways as well, like fire trucks driving by, interrupting peace. Or peace gets broken sometimes outside as I'm greeting you and I say something foolish, which I am at fault of doing, and I say something foolish and you're off-put or you're upset or something happens and peace is broken between us. Or maybe today, because I'm not wearing my normal Sunday attire for preaching and peace has been broken, there's like some serious nods, so <laughs> we'll have to work on that peace. Back in Iowa, I had a great senior pastor who I worked for who every Monday would think about all the peace that he broke and he would call those people and connect on Monday to reestablish peace. Well, somebody emailed us this past week that said they were here visiting last Sunday, and um, in their email, their, their lament, um, which I appreciate receiving, but it broke peace in my heart, um, was that no one said hello. And it just broke my heart. I, I missed that person. I didn't say hello. We didn't say hello. But somehow peace gets broken even in these small ways. And sometimes we're able to put the pieces back together. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we shouldn't put them back together. So we're talking about waging peace. So how do you conceptualize peace? How do you wage peace? 
You know, perhaps as we think about waging war, we have a lot more images that come to mind. It's easier to think about in tangible ideas what war is like. You know, we can think about nations gathering their army and assessing the strength of their army versus the enemy army. You can think about strategy and plans. Like, I know even for me in my own life, when, when war rises up in me and I want to attack, I can think of the boiling feeling that rises up. But what is the feeling of peace? You know, does it boil up? What is that feeling of peace and how we move toward it and we wage peace? I remember breaking peace with my grandma 35 years ago when I broke her teacup. You know, grandma, she had, my grandma had, you know, two sets of dishes, you know, the everyday dishes and then the special dishes that lived in a special cabinet. And those only came out on Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and special occasions. And, you know, those were special dishes. They had emotional value to her. And I remember one seven-year-old flailing moment, just knocking off a teacup and the saucer onto the floor, and it crashed to the ground and broke. And I broke not only that cup, but I broke peace with my grandma. So I remember gathering up. Man, it's crazy. 35 years ago, I still remember gathering up those pieces, taking them to my grandma, and apologizing and mending that broken piece. And my grandma, she was a person of peace, thankfully, and she had God's peace deep within her. And so she valued me and my relationship with her far more than she did that teacup. And she forgave me and scooped me up in a big hug. Um, And peace was mended. You know, but that broken teacup, you know, that set of eight that is now seven, um, that broken teacup did not go back into the special cabinet. But instead, my grandma put it on the windowsill above her kitchen sink where she would see it every day and where I would also see it every day. (laughs) Ah. But perhaps it became more special because it sat there. Well, I wish I knew back then about this fancy thing, kintsuguri. Um, Here's a photo you can see of a bowl that was broken and the repair technique that was developed in Japan called kintsuguri, where the pieces are put back together. And the legend goes that kintsuguri was was started, was invented um, in the 15th century when this Japanese shogun broke his rice bowl that was super special. Now think about this, so special that in Japan, his bowl broke, he sent it back to China for repair. Now just think about that, like, when do you send things back to China for repair versus just replacement? Such a different time in life that they would send it to China for repair. And so it gets repaired in the normal way they use staples, and here's a picture of stapling pottery back together, and that's what they did, they put it back together. And when it came back, the shogun was not very happy because it didn't look very beautiful. It looked ugly. So this motivated their craftsmen and their artisans to develop this technique of kintsugiri, where they would take a lacquer mixed with gold, and they'd put the pieces back together, and the repaired bowl or whatever pottery is actually more beautiful because of the cracks, because of the breaks, and the repair. So this is just a powerful idea to me 
of how God takes these pieces and puts them back together, and there is an opportunity for it to be more beautiful after the break happened than before. Well, as we think about peace this morning, have you ever thought about how in our very throwaway, disposable world, that it's not only coffee cups that we toss out, but how we can tend to let that disposable, throwaway idea seep into our souls, and how we can throw away relationships, toss people to the side. You know, maybe you break peace with a friend and you just go get a new friend. If someone annoys you, disappoints you, hurts you, you just separate. Just stay away from that person. It seems that in our world right now, we have way more tools in our toolkit for waging war than we do for waging peace. We have more tools for waging war, for throwing away, for separating than for waging peace, for mending, for keeping, for restoring. Maybe it's just because war is so tangible in front of us and that emotion just rises up in such a powerful way that we take action, we move, we attack. And peace simply is not as clear. It's just not as clear what we do. It's more of an art form for mending, for peacemaking. So in the book, The Mending, The Divide, this author's write about peacemaking, that peacemaking is less something we do and more something we get to be a part of. Just that idea that peacemaking is this creative work that we are joining into in this space that we create, God creates, and we join God, and it's art, art happening. You know, as we look at Jesus, Jesus didn't give us these principles and tactics and, like, bullet points of how to make peace. Instead, Jesus would give us a story. And by telling that story, he'd plant a seed in us that he hoped would grow and become space for peace to happen. When Mending the Divide, they outline those four words, see, immerse, contend, and restore. And as Susie talked about see and immerse, we cannot continue today without remembering how important it is to begin there. Especially for we Americans, who tend to jump to contending and restoring without seeing and immersing. So we need to remember to start with seeing and immersing. Perhaps you feel in yourself the just very cultural thing of, we know what to do. We jump to action. We know what's best. We're going to make it happen. But the reminder is that we first need to see and immerse and let that space be created first. So Susie talked about the golden rule, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And to begin to see people with dignity and respect, to begin to see the other as having value and purpose and meaning, and that that person should be treated the way you want to be treated. Today, I want to look at a couple stories and see how Jesus portrayed, see, immerse, contend, and restore in these stories. You know, Jesus did not confront people often with, like, arguments and principles. Jesus 
turned around with a question. Jesus told a story and let that thing grow in the people's lives. So hopefully that can be true for us today as well. So our first story is the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard this in a very, very popular story of Jesus. But the context is that Jesus is gathered with a bunch of people, and this expert in the law comes to test Jesus. He's going to wage war with Jesus through words. He's taking Jesus on, and he wants to take Jesus down. So he's going to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, not playing the game, turns around and asks a question back. And he doesn't answer and give him the answer. He turns around and says, hey, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Puts it back on him. And of course, the man really quickly can recite the Shema, which is the Jewish summation of the law. You know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ooh, that's where he got stuck. Because as soon as he said, love your neighbor as yourself, he knew that he didn't keep that. He knew that he didn't treat all people the way he wanted to be treated. So he got stuck. Jesus kind of brought him to that moment of self-realization, and so he wanted to get out. He wanted to redefine. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to get out of that scenario and get back to feeling good about himself. And so he asked Jesus a question. He said, well, who's my neighbor? And again, Jesus did not answer him, but instead tells a story, a parable, that plants a seed that can grow. So here is the parable. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho on a very dangerous road. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest very religious person, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he didn't actually see the man because he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came along as well to the same place, and he saw him, but he didn't actually see him because he passed by on the other side. But... We always love that but, but a Samaritan. And of course, the context that Jesus was standing in in that group of people, they all thought, ah, a Samaritan, what a terrible person. This Samaritan's so bad, he's probably going to kick the guy and take anything else that still might have been remaining from him. That's what they were expecting. But Jesus said, ooh, I need to go back because I was just talking. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he actually saw him because he took pity. That's seeing, is taking pity, recognizing another human life in need. And then he immersed. He actually reached out and touched that guy. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he started contending. You know, he could have just immersed himself by fixing him up with some Band-Aids and going on. But no, he started contending. He went even further to put the man on his donkey, to take him to an inn, to take care of him. 
And the next day, he took out two denarii, a couple days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. So now he's beginning to restore. He's inviting others into this project of helping this man, of bringing him back to health. So he brings the innkeeper in to help, and he says, look after him. He said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Restore. And Jesus turns back to the expert in law and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Isn't that powerful just to have that few words put into the person's mind and everybody standing around where they are now like, ooh, go and do likewise. So now when they go out the next day or the next week and they bump into a situation where somebody's in need, those words of Jesus, go and do likewise, pop up and hopefully help them see and help them take the next step to immerse and to contend and to restore. Through this parable, Jesus guides us into peace. He's simply telling a story that illustrates what peacemaking is like. And then that story can take root in our own lives, and we can begin seeing that same story lived out in our own experience as we bump into people in our days. And that seed can grow so that it helps us to see, because now we're more aware, aware of people around us. We have our eyes open. We have care and concern, seeing that the other is valuable and has dignity and is just a human made in the image of God. We carry that around, and Jesus is popping that up in us, that we are going and doing likewise. And we continue to immerse and contend and to restore. And it's creative work. It's creative, because Jesus isn't saying, okay, when this happens, then do this. He's saying, no, it's creative. When something happens, just step in. Create the space for God to show up and to participate. You know, Jesus didn't even use these words, see, immerse, contend, and restore. I know it's hard to believe. But he just gave us the story and let the story live in us and grow out of us. So contend, restore, these are creative works. Not a formula, not a do this and then do that. Again, peacemaking is is less something that we do and something more that we get to be a part of. And in Mending the Divide, they wrote, rather than stumbling into restoration, we must take the initiative to create space for God, the great Kintsuguri artist, to bring restoration. Isn't that great? Just the idea of we create this space for God to do the work of restoring. That beautiful picture that as God gives us the ability to see and immerse and move toward, we are then creating the space where God can do the work of restoring. We are simply showing up. It doesn't depend on us. This making peace doesn't depend on how good I am or how smart I am or what resources I have available. I just simply have to show up, care, create this space, and God can show up. Now, it's super messy, though, isn't it? Just in between services, somebody came out and said, ah, our life feels more like it was just shattered. And I was, 
I, I can't solve your problem. I can't make it better. And I prayed for them. But it is messy, this work of restoring and creating space for God to move and to do what he wants to do in that. All right, second story comes from Mark chapter 2. And this time, I'm just going to read the story, and I want you to think about where is seeing happening, immersing happening, contending happening, and restoring happening. All right, Mark chapter 2 begins. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. I'm going to pause. I love that line. Jesus had come home. Capernaum was his home. He was known. He was comfortable. Love that. So, a whole bunch of people, they gather in such large numbers that there, were no, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And when he preached the word to them, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. How did seeing happen? Who saw? I think that the four men, maybe there was a bigger group, but four of them that carried, they saw. They saw the value of this man. They cared about him. They had value on him. There was some worth in this person. So they saw him. And we don't know these things, but we kind of wonder who these men were in relation to that guy. I mean, perhaps they were his brothers, four brothers that were carrying the mat. Or maybe there were four friends who cared about this guy and knew him from, since they were little kids. Maybe the guy in the mat was simply paying them to carry him to Jesus. We don't know. Or maybe these were four people who Jesus had healed, and now they saw this man and cared about him because they were him, and they saw Jesus as the great healer. And so they said, we just have to get this guy to Jesus. They saw the man. Well, how did they immerse? How did they immerse in this story? I think those four men simply got involved. They went, they picked up the mat, and they got involved and participated. But how did they contend? Here's where the story really gets good and why they probably wrote it down in the Bible. The crowd was so huge, they couldn't get him in. If they were just, like, immersing a little bit, they would have been like, all right, buddy, we got you here. This is as far as we can get. We're out. But instead, they persisted. They pressed on. They tore open the roof, which I remember as a little kid wondering, what is the deal? How did they feel like they could do that to somebody's house? Could they put it back together? And they were like, oh, well, we're roofers, so we can do this. But somehow they were so bold as to tear open the roof that they persisted to get the man to Jesus because what is the most important thing? Getting him to Jesus. They contended. Well, how did they restore? How did they restore in this story? Well, they didn't. They didn't do anything to restore. Jesus did. Jesus is the one who healed him. 
And that's the powerful thing. And we think about peacemaking, that we are simply bringing ourselves to God for God to do the work. We are simply bringing other people to God for God to do the work. We're simply bringing whatever our work is or our project or our thing or whatever's broken, and we're bringing it to God for him to do the work to restore. Maybe you have some people in your life with whom peace has been broken. Ah. See, peace, peace is not simply removing that person from your life and not seeing them anymore and not dealing with that conflict. Peace is when God mends things back together. It's kind of crazy. I was at a wedding last night where there's a lot of broken pieces that were just amazingly together and not happy, not perfect, but there was some major smashing in the past. And now to see this many years later, people at least even in the same room together, was super powerful. It's messy, but God is pushing, pushing for peace, wanting peace. God does the restoring back to beauty. And God takes us way further than we want to go. Doesn't he? Takes us way further than we want to go because we want to be like, I am done, I'm out, whatever. But instead, God keeps pushing to say, you need to bring that, bring those pieces to me. Sometimes I imagine in my mind coming into the throne room of God with my pieces and handing them to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus takes those pieces and says, thank you. That's all you can do. And he does some kind of mending in me to be at peace, even though that situation might not be solved. But maybe Jesus also, when I bring in those pieces, sometimes he says, all right, those are the pieces. Here's the brave conversation I want you to have. Or here's a little bit of strength to keep going, to press on, to don't give up. Stay on task. Keep going. God's job is to do the restoring. Our job is to show up. And the result is so much more because God puts the pieces back together and the cracks actually become something beautiful. Broken peace is hard. No doubt about it. No sugarcoating that. Jesus did not give a formula for conflict resolution or peace mending or solving problems. There will be times when the pieces can't be put back together. Time when they shouldn't be put back together. But there are also times when God gather those, gathers those pieces and does something to restore that makes it way more beautiful than what it was before. And going through that is the powerful thing. It's up to God to restore. We simply have to come to him. So as we prepare to come to the communion table this morning, will you close your eyes, fold your hands, and bring your pieces to God? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are here you are here. 
as we give you our pieces. We ask you to mend, mend our hearts, mend our relationships, mend our work, mend our bodies, mend our housing and living situations. We ask you to mend. I invite you, with your eyes closed, to imagine yourself entering the throne room of God. Imagine the broken teacup pieces in your hand, and you're bringing them and handing them to God. What piece has been broken in your life? What do those pieces represent? Are those pieces a person, a relationship, a piece has been broken? Do those pieces represent a project at work that isn't going right? Are those pieces an initiative that you've been pushing on and, and working toward, but seems to be falling apart rather than coming together? Those pieces, health, something in your body that is not working right, and the brokenness there. Maybe if you were a teacher, those pieces are the whole bunch of kids that will be sitting in their little chairs tomorrow, and you need to reinstate peace into them after a wild and free summer. Whatever peace has been broken, I invite you to hand them over to God and ask God to mend and to mend as he desires. Heavenly Father, here are the pieces of our broken peace. You are a God of peace, of shalom, of universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. We come to you for mending. Mend us. Mend our relationships, mend our bodies, mend our work, mend our city, mend our nation, mend this world. Give us peace that surpasses understanding. And thank you for your unfailing grace. Amen. Amen.